The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Most of you know me. Uh, my name is Cameron, uh, and I've been in and out of Doxa for a few years now during the summers uh, between being at college in Columbia and um, Today's kind of an emotional Sunday for my wife and I, uh, for me. Um, this is the last Sunday that we'll be at Doxa for a while. Um, we're going to Minnesota for four years to uh, do a degree at seminary for me. Um, and I am incredibly thankful to be leaving a church uh, like Doxa in that it is a church that is God-centered, a church that is god glorifying a church of men and women who love Christ and want him to be the center of their lives. But I'm also thankful to leave the church of Doxa, the the people here. Um, So many of them have been uh, people that I've grown up with. And uh, my middle school youth pastor is sitting back there and my high school youth pastor is sitting right there. And people that I went through high school, people who watched me be saved by the Lord, people who prayed with me and baptized me, go to this church, and and I count it the Lord's favor that he has brought those people together to bless me in a way that is incredibly tender and special, Uh, and I feel feel the love of God as he sends me out from a body like that, that as I come home in the next four years, I come home to the people that the Lord has made my family. so I've loved being at Doxa. Um, I've loved spending time with the guys last summer when we did uh, debates on different theological topics, and I've loved uh, spending time with the guys this summer as we've tried to dig into what does prayer look like for us. So I thought that it would be helpful and appropriate uh, to open up with a suggestion for all of us for, for prayer, for how we might help ourselves when we feel our prayers becoming stale when we feel our prayers being repetitive, when we wake up or when we're driving or what, whenever it is that we are, find ourselves praying, we find ourselves saying the same things over and over again and we find them getting emptier and emptier and, and we're not quite sure what exactly we mean by them anymore. Something that has been helpful to me is the concept of praying the Bible, of, of using the words of Scripture themselves as the structure and the format and the content of your prayer And the psalm that uh, we're going to walk through together this morning is especially suited for that. Um, It's a perfect example of as you pray the words of the Bible, as you walk through them and as you use them for response from hearing from the Lord and responding to the Lord, as you use them to converse with God, the, the, the things that the psalmist says, the things that David says in this psalm become more and more real to your heart, the, the, the reality of them is fleshed out to be clearer and clearer as you say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me besides the waters, he restores my soul. As you say these things, as, as if we were to use these as the content of our prayer, road to walk on, we find our hearts beginning to do something that we like to talk about but we don't often do, which is to meditate on the words of scripture. As we walk back over those phrases, we have thoughts and, and the Lord 
reveals to us different ways that he shepherds us through our daily lives. He, he leads us, he nourishes us, he provides for us, he, he restores us when we're empty. So Psalm 23 digs down into us as we pray it, as we read it, as we meditate on it. So I want to walk through Psalm 23 today and pray that the Lord would restore our soul, would give us encouragement to walk out our paths of righteousness that he leads us into, um, to comfort us when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, to give us a hope for the future. So let me pray for our hearts and our souls before we walk through this psalm. Father, you shepherd our souls, you care for us, you give us good, incredible gifts. But Lord, lift our eyes up to you today to see you, to love you, to see your glory, to see your beauty, to see your son clearly so that um, as we think through this psalm, as we pray through the scriptures, as we live out our lives in community with others, would your spirit be powerful in giving us joy and satisfaction in your son? Would you work these miracles in our hearts this morning and give me words of your Holy Spirit to speak? We need you and your help, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Psalm 23, I, I won't read the whole thing again because Randy ended up reading it. Um, as, as we read, we see two different metaphors. We see he starts out and he says, the Lord is my shepherd, which means he's our shepherd. He's picturing us as the sheep of his pasture. And he, and he walks on through the first four verses to say, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want. And, and he walks through that. And then in verse five, he switches to another metaphor. He, he says, you, you prepare a table for me in, in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head, you fill my cup. So we're going to walk through these metaphors separately. And I, I want to focus in on two different parts of our lives on each of the metaphors. And the first metaphor, the metaphor of us walking next to our shepherd, of following him, of trusting him, David is walking through what, what it is now to be a sheep, to be a saint, to be a believer, to be someone who is living in this world, trusting in that God. And the second metaphor, he's, he's looking forward, but he doesn't only look forward, he also looks around himself right now, and he sees the Lord's provision and care in his daily life right now. So the first two verses uh, are the first part, a lot of translations set them apart in a stanza. We have the first stanza of this poem as it is. And he has three different thoughts. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Most translations translate it as I, I shall not want. And the trouble is when we hear that, we think to the Ten Commandments, a, a prohibition, we think, I shall not want. I can't want. You, you, you shouldn't want. You shouldn't, shouldn't want anything. You shouldn't desire anything. You should be content. Or we, we think of a prediction that because the Lord is my servant, I, I, I won't want anything then. And there's elements of that to both of, there's elements 
of both of those in the phrase, I shall not want, but maybe a more helpful way to translate that Hebrew verb is to say, I have no lack. I, I lack nothing. There is nothing in me that is lacking. And the question arises, for all of us who look to the Lord as our shepherd, is that true in our lives? Do we have no lack? Do we, is there nothing that we don't have? And the answer is no. We, we lack plenty of things. We lack plenty of things that we think would be good to have. And that's why we see prayers throughout the Bible and we see prayers throughout our lives of asking God for things. So the question is, what, what does he mean by because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And I think the picture is this. And I think it's the first picture that David offers to himself. He's expressing this out of his heart and out of his experience. That because God is our shepherd, we lack nothing that the shepherd thinks is good for us. Because God is leading us and guiding us and making us to lie down, everything that he knows is good for us. Everything that he knows that we need, that we require to be happy in him, to be, find joy in him, to find satisfaction in him. Everything that we actually need is provided for us. And we see this truth even fleshed out in the New Testament in Paul in Romans 8. The end of Romans 8, he says, for we know that those who love God, all things work out for good. So that they would be conformed to the image of his son. So the first picture he offers us is, because the Lord is my shepherd, I am confident that everything that he gives me is what I need. And because of that, I can be content and I can still ask for things and I still go to him with my needs and my wants, but I know that at the end of that prayer and at the end of that day and at the end of my life when I look back, everything that I will have needed to see him clearly and to be satisfied in who he is, he has given me freely and wisely. The second picture he offers, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he leads me, his sheep, beside still waters, and he sums those two things up with the next phrase. He says, what I mean is he restores my soul. There are green pastures in this life that we, there are physical green pastures that we look at and we say, we, we see God providing physically, but David is thinking very, very pointedly, as he leads me through this life, he is providing for me in, in all of the other ways that we see in the Psalms. He's delivering me from my enemies. He's providing for my needs, but he's restoring my soul first and foremost. That This picture of us as needy, dumb sheep, not, not being able to have the kind of view that the shepherd has over the field and over the pastures and over the river and over the hill. He knows what's coming. We don't know that. And as we follow him, he leads us in tender ways in our life that when we look at the ways that he leads us, we can see who our shepherd is and our soul is restored in the goodness of the shepherd. And that's what's fleshed out in this next verse. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We can go through a part of the Bible five, 10, 15 times for five, 10, or 15 years and never see a phrase that has all the significance in the world. 
And that phrase, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, is the clarification that David gives us that says, he leads you by still waters. He makes you to lie down and rest in green pastures so that you would love the shepherd, not the green pastures, not the still waters. He, he leads you, he blesses you, he provides for you, he restores your soul so that your soul would find joy in him. You would see the goodness of the shepherd, not the goodness of the fields. It's too easy for us as sheep to be in life and to even feel the restoration of our soul and to be content with how our soul is feeling at that moment rather than looking upwards and seeing the mercy and the goodness and the love of that shepherd. He moves in into a, a different picture of shepherding in the next two verses. And I will read these. He says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For because you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Walking through green pastures, having our soul restored by still waters, is not exclusive, is not separated, is not always different from walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And what I mean is this. We can say the valley of the shadow of death, that's a trial in my life. I have cancer. My, my, my family is breaking apart. Something has happened that I cannot reconcile with this belief in the sovereignty of God. I cannot, I cannot see how a loving God can allow this kind of pain. That's a, that's a valley in our lives, and we walk through that with our shepherd. But more generally than that, and many times more missed than that, is the fact that this world that we walk through daily this world that we are right now in, in this school gymnasium and outwards in Myrtle Beach and outwards in the Grand Strand and outwards into the whole of the nation and all of the nations around the whole world, this world that we live in is right now in the shadow of sin and death. That we have lived since Adam, since the fall, in this valley, in this deep despair of, I know that we are broken, I know that we are lost, I know that we are needy, and David looks around and he says, even while I'm walking through this valley, I'm, I'm nuzzling up close to my shepherd. I'm, I'm trusting my shepherd because he's restoring my soul. Even in the, as I look to the shepherd, as I see the grass and the, the water that he gives me to nourish me and to restore my soul, I look up and I see his goodness. And even though I'm traveling through this deep and despairing valley, I know that it will all be all right. I know that this shepherd is worth trusting and he gives us what he trusts in. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They give me solace. They give me peace. And it's true, there's royal symbolism in, in this rod and this staff. There's shepherd symbolism. There's royal symbolism. But what we see played out time and time again as the story of redemption in the Bible goes on is that these are signs of God's victory. These are signs of God's sure conquering of the power of sin and death, of Satan, of our adversary, of our own sin. 
that for those of us who have been brought to this shepherd, not only have we been rescued out of our lives, but we have been rescued from our own evil desires. And he looks up at his shepherd and he says, your victory, your strength, your weapons of war that have conquered not only this world, but my own rebellion, I find such comfort and peace and encouragement in those because as I walk near you, I know that when I am following you, I am safe. When I am your sheep, you are my shepherd and you will take care of me through whatever valley we're walking through and for my entire life. He moves on to a different metaphor, but I don't think that it's disconnected for very long. He says this in verse 5. Lord, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, in the presence of my affliction, in the presence of those who hate me, in the presence of all the things in this world that are against your people You prepare a celebration. You prepare a feast. You provide for me, and you anoint my head with oil. You raise me up. You shower your love on me. You show your grace in my life. You show your power through me, through my weakness. My cup is overflowing with with joy, with comfort, with steadfast love. And he says this exclamation of confidence, surely, surely, without a doubt, your goodness and your mercy will follow me my whole life, all the days of my life, days without end, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David sees this feast as all Jews did. He, he looks forward and he sees this feast where those who are with their God, the Lord who leads them through a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke, the Lord who strikes down Egypt and strikes down the the empires that are against them, the Lord who has provided for them miraculously, this Lord who is their shepherd will one day bring all of this to an end and they will be vindicated and they will celebrate at the feast of the king. They will be invited into the kingdom as the Lord brings his rule to fully bear on this earth. So David is looking forward to when the Lord's promises will be fulfilled. In the New Testament, we have Jesus come and say, the, Lord, the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is here. But as you live through this next time, as I am ruling and reigning and you are waiting for me to come back, you're still looking forward to a feast. But it's, it's filled out a little bit. The amazing thing about the Bible as we look through it is that from Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the Bible does not change its promises, but it builds them and it expands them and it grows on them and it fleshes them out and it gives us more and more and more joy and hope in what is coming. And this is the picture that we now have of this feast that David was looking forward to. We will be at the feast, celebrating our marriage as the church to our shepherd lamb. That the one who David looks to, to guide him through the valley of the shadow of death, and the one who says, I I am the good shepherd, that one was also the lamb who was the one who conquered, who was the one who paid with his blood for our sin, was the one who paid with his blood 
who let go of what it was to be God and didn't consider it something to be used to his own advantage in order to defeat forever the kingdom of Satan. And we look forward to this feast where this lamb, this God, Jesus Christ, the God-man, the lamb of the universe and our shepherd will take us as his people. We will be pure and blameless as a bride prepared for her wedding day and we will feast with him in victory as conquerors fully in the presence of God forever. And that's what David says last. He says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For David, he wanted to build a temple. He had built this magnificent palace for himself and he started to say, this is not fitting that I should live in this palace and Lord, your presence should be in this tent tabernacle full of, made of cloths and goat skins. This isn't right. So for David, the picture of the presence of God is in this physical dwelling, this tabernacle, and soon to be this temple. We see through the Bible, when God created man, he created him in a garden. And this garden was the place where God's presence was fully with man. And when that presence was cut off because of Adam's sin, we see the patriarchs wandering. And every time God and man would meet, there would be an altar put up with a name describing that meeting. And they were these nomadic testimonies wandering about the land saying, God's presence was here with his people. And then we see David's time. He was in this tabernacle. And then with Solomon, he was in this temple that the Lord's presence was manifest right there with his people. And then we see the God-man, Jesus Christ, come. And we see the presence of God for the first time manifest in human flesh with his creation. And then we see his church described by Paul and Peter as a living temple of living stones being built up to the glory of God all in Christ And we realize that the presence of God with his people has always been the goal. The presence of God in love and joy and satisfaction for his people so that his people would see him and see his beauty and find joy in him has always been God's goal for his people. And for those of us who are in his son now by faith, we look forward to when we will be fully in the presence of God, when he will be our son I want to read select verses of John 10 to us so that as we have thought through David looking to God as his shepherd, we can see how when God came to be with us, this thread was not left behind, this thought was not abandoned, but that Jesus Christ himself is our good shepherd. This is John 10. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, but I must bring them in also. 
My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. For I and the Father are one. I want to propose that there are three ways that we can live our lives as and out of Psalm 23. First thought is, I lack nothing. Jesus puts this into other words when he makes this plea. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So today and tomorrow, come to him. Come to the shepherd who has not only led us through the valley and who has already conquered, who has already walked the path before us, but come to the lamb who has received your wrath and your condemnation. Come to him if you're a believer. Come to him for peace and for rest, for confidence in his finished work. Come to him knowing that as you follow him through the valley, we will fear no evil. We lack nothing. And if you're an unbeliever and you're tired and you're weary and you're heavy laden and you feel all of the want and the need and the lack in the world come to the one who holds everything in his hand, who holds the world together by the word of his power, who has created for his own glory so that you might come to him and see him and look at him and love him and be satisfied in him. So we first come to the shepherd and then we follow the shepherd. Jesus came to them and said to them in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is after his death, as he was murdered and destroyed, and he was risen again as conquering, victorious Lord of the universe, and he says, I have all authority My rod and my staff are in my hands. I have conquered everything forever. Hebrews 1 says, He upholds now from heaven the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. As we follow our shepherd, let us look to his rod and his staff as the symbols of his absolute unequivocal might. His victory that gives us the confidence that we need to walk through the the valley of the shadow of death as he gives us the confidence to say, I have no fear of evil. I have no fear of my want. I have no fear of my sin anymore because as I repent, I look to you and I see that you've made purification for my sins and that you will bring all things to a close. And we look forward to dwelling with him. I want to read for a couple minutes. 
I want to read and then dwell for a couple minutes on, on this passage from Revelation 21. This is the end of the thread from Genesis 3, where the presence of God was separated from man because of sin all the way through the ways that he manifested his presence in Christ, in the church. This is the end when his presence is with us forever. This is John seeing this vision. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Our future hope, when we see our Lord coming back with victory and judgment, and we are with him and we see this new Jerusalem where we will be with him forever, where there will be no sun because the presence of God will be our light. We will live with the Lamb of God who was our purification for sins. As we hope in that, that is no different from looking at that same God now and saying, your rod and your staff, they comfort me as I walk through my own sin, as I walk through my own pain, as I walk through this broken world. It's no different as we look forward than saying now, the Lord is my shepherd. I have no Lack, he provides everything I need and he restores my soul and he does it all so that I would love him rather than the grass. Love the shepherd. Look forward to the shepherd in your daily life now. Pray that he would be your shepherd and that you would follow him closely looking at his rod and staff. I look forward to coming back. But more than that, I, I look forward to the next four years of my life walking through this personally, knowing that as I pray for you and think of you, that the same God who made the heavens and the earth is shepherding you through this world as he's shepherding me through this world. Let me pray for us and then we will have a song and sometimes the purpose of this song is ambiguous, so let me suggest something. Read over this psalm a couple of times. Read over John 10, if that's what you would rather do, a couple of times while you listen to this song. Meditate on the Lord's provision in your life thus far, and meditate on the Lord's grace to you in sealing you with the Holy Spirit for the world to come. Pray with me. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.